You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. You're listening to Snowbound with George Thomas. I'm in Boulder, Colorado. We're on the line with Rick Lyons, who is in Whitefish, Montana. Rick, great to chat with you again. Good to be here. Now, you're so ingrained in the Northwest. What is it that actually took you away from from the Northwest? Well, actually, I'm I'm still officially part of the Northwest. Okay. Uh, so PSI Northwest, uh, the region includes uh, Whitefish Mountain Resort in Whitefish, Montana. It's just on the farthest corner that we could get to it. So. Now, I totally thought you were Rocky Mountain now. No, this is still part of the PSI Northwest region. Um, and that was one of the things that, that kept me, basically I relocated to be closer to family and some other stuff. I've kind of had some, uh, well, kind of some, some life events have happened in the last year that uh, led me to kind of go through a little bit of a reset. But Now, how has skiing been such a huge part of your life? I mean, you're someone who seems like you love to ski, but at the same time, you really enjoy teaching. Well, yeah, absolutely. You know, it's, it's, and to this day, I mean, it's, I don't know, I have, I have family members that are, are professional teachers that, you know, teach biology and English and all those other things. And, and so that teaching aspect seems to be something in the blood, I think. And then the skiing is just, I mean, what more freedom can you have? Been out there playing and dancing on the mountain and being able to continue to work to, to get better at anything. And every condition is always different. So you're always challenged with something new. So, you, you know, you never get the same run twice. It's like golf. You never get the same shot twice. And so everything is always a little bit of a tweak and you're, you're always trying to make it even better. How old and were you when you started blast. skiing? I started skiing when I was eight years old and actually in Missoula, Montana at uh, Marshall ski area. I, my folks decided that this was a, a sport that we needed to do as a family and they got us all up and got us lessons. So me, my brother and my sister and my folks all started skiing in, in Missoula in the, in the, in the early seventies. Now, did you have in a competitive phase? Did you ever race? When did you get interested in teaching? So, you know, it was when I was going to college, actually it was more like high school. We, we, we moved around. My dad was, was working for the government for the forest service. And so for every job transfer, a transfer was involved. And so 
we, you know, in junior high school, we were getting, I was getting, we had a bunch of friends and we would ski and we were living in Twin Falls, Idaho. And there you would, we would go up to Sun Valley. You could get an Idaho pass and you could ski at Sun Valley for like $12 a day. And so we had a bunch of friends and we were going up and we were doing a bunch of skiing and kind of in the, it was in the hot dog days, you know, Scotty Brooks Bank and Wayne Duong and those guys were, you know, I had posters of those guys in my room. But we ended up, my dad got transferred to Bozeman, Montana. And one of the things that, that they did is they said, well, we'll get you season passes at the local ski area, Bridger Bowl. And so we, we went up there, got season passes. And, and actually, my brother started teaching the year before. I, you know, and it became kind of a family thing. It's like my brother started teaching at Bridger Bowl. And then I had a bunch of friends and we were all skiing through college and other stuff. But it was one of those jobs that you got to kind of be able to, to maintain that season pass and still be able to ski, you know, five, six days a week and still go to school at the same time. Now, I got to um, say, so when you, little... as soon as you said Wayne Wong, Hanson Boots came into my head. <laughs> well, my brother had Hanson Boots. I didn't. I had Scott Boots, but <laughs> it was... Because we were, at that time, we were in South Idaho and, and Scott was, the factory was right there. And we oh, could go up to up to Sun Valley during the Sun Valley ski swap and we could get all kinds of replacement parts for our boots. And, and so you always had, had multiple pieces because they never lasted more than three weeks. It seems But <laughs> <laughs> she had plenty of parts to build new stuff. So, so it was entertaining. Now I interrupted. You. Yeah. You were, yeah. You, you were telling us college ski instructing then it really became a part right. of your life though. So it was, it became, you know, and, and, and so I was in college. It took me a few more years to get through college because I took almost every winter off effectively to, <laughs> to play on the mountain. And so I started teaching at Bridger in, in 1984, um, no, 80, 85, 86. So I tried out for the ski school in 84 and didn't make it. And that was a real triad. It was like a hundred people because it was a, you know, 16 miles from the ski area to the college. Uh, and so there was a hundred people vying for the position and they were taking 10 people at the time. So it was a serious tryout. Um, and so the next year went through it again and, and, and got on staff there, um, got involved and just had a blast. And one of the, one of the cool programs was, was teaching college programs. And so you, you're, you know, you're a college kid, but you're teaching other college kids and you get up there after school and, and teach for, for two, three hours. And then, hang out and then head back and try to do homework. But, but yeah, so I started getting into it there and started working kind of full time at Bridger. Got my associate certification in, in 1986, got my full cert in 1987. Um, and then became a supervisor for the Bridger Bowl staff in 88. Um, and then became uh, an examiner in training in the Northern Rocky Mountain Division in that same season. But, but then, you know, my, my dad asked me to, to, uh, pursue my education. You know, I got a degree in engineering. And so I ended up moving out to Portland, Oregon and got an engineering job, but I, I couldn't not ski. And with Mount Hood right there in my backyard, which has year round skiing, I, I just went and started working for Mount Hood Meadows and continued the trend. So I, I was, I was working part-time 
uh, as a ski instructor. Most, I mean, I've basically been part-time most of the time since, but I've been doing skiing year-round with having Timberline and, and Mount Hood right there with summer skiing in the summertime and then meadows at the wintertime. So I, I tend to get three to four days a week on snow, even though I'm still working full-time as an engineer. Now, how long have you been an examiner? Since 87? So, you know, I was a I was an EIT in Northern Rocky Mountain in 87, but then I didn't start examining, you know, and that was pretty premature. I really, I wouldn't say I was a qualified person to be there. It was kind of a good old boys network thing that happened, but my, my boss there at the time was a certification VP and needed more people to, to be training. So, but when I moved to Oregon, I I started working into the divisional clinic leader program there, uh, and I became an examiner in Northwest. When was that? Ninety four. So I started as a yeah as an examiner. I think it was ninety four ninety five was the season that I ended up becoming an examiner in, in the Northwest division. But you're such a nice involved. guy, and and examiners are so scary, right? <laughs> well, that's part of the reason that I got into examining is because, you know, we don't need to be. You don't need to have the the mirrored glasses and, and be be the you know the dull faced guy there. You know, the whole idea is it's a checkpoint to see if these people are helping our our membership be able to educate uh, clients to a level that is recognized across the country. You know, and that's that's really all it is. It's you're you're basically trying to, you know, assess that if I if I run an exam at Mounted Meadows or at at Bachelor or at Whitefish or at Bridger Pole, and I give someone a level two or a level three certification, that's a signature that I'm putting on this person's ability to any ski school director across the country that this person can teach your clients through these different zones. And so for, for the level two, you're saying that this person can teach anyone through the intermediate zone any of the different skill blends that they're going to need in your resort. Um, and so that's a pretty, you know, it's a pretty healthy burden, I think, to, you know, to sit there and, and be able to say, I can assess this person to this level. And that I can tell, I can tell Dave Beckwith at Killington that, yeah, you can hire this guy. He would he would teach your intermediate guys, and you'd you'd be fantastic for him. Or I couldn't tell Jonathan Blue at Aspen. It's like, yeah, you know, here's a here's someone that's a teaches all terrain, all conditions, would be great for your clients, and would, would would be doing a great job for you. And so that's you know, the examiner, you're you're trying to, and you want people to perform at their capability. The more stress you put on them, then a lot of people don't perform very well. So. Being a nice guy, back to your question, being a nice guy, it's like you want to help them be able to be successful, but you also want to maintain what the standard is and that you are you are doing us, you know, a service to the rest of the organization. Now, as an examiner, how are you able to set personal feelings aside? Because there are people that take clinic after clinic and then go to an exam and just freeze up. That is really hard. That that is that is I am such an empathetic person. Um, that, you know, if I, if I get a, a, a candidate that comes through and, and they're not successful and the, 
the tears well up and other stuff, and my my tears start to flow at the same time. It's because you really want to you want everyone to be successful. There's no there's no limit. There's no there's no you know quota, so to speak, of how many people we can we can give certifications to. It's a bar. It's an assessment, right? It's like, do they come to this level? And it, and as try as you might, it still is a personal thing. People are putting their, you know, they they train for a long time. It's very emotional. It's very personal, and it's very hard not to to take it, you know, in a bad way if it, if you don't get the results that you're looking for. Um, but that's where you, you know, the, when you take and create standards, which we have the national standards for PSIA, and they define ski performance, terrain, speed, accuracy that you're looking for, for people to be able to to perform that in these different zones. And so, and through that, you create tasks that help facilitate vision into those. And so a ski task, like skiing bumps or doing a wedge turn or doing some type of a thing is, is showing a skill blend and a movement pattern that you would hope that this candidate can be able to demonstrate to their client and show variations of it. And so the more, you know, I guess observable things that you can describe that that this is what we're looking for and to try to take the, the personality or the, the personal side out of it and make it, it's an observable thing. And, the more that the candidate understands that, and the more that you help them understand. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri term medical plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. That, that then they can start to rate their own performance. And that's when you're most successful is when a candidate that goes through the program, that comes to an exam, and can, based off of how you're describing what it needs to be done, they can evaluate their own performance and say, I've made it or I didn't make it. That's, that, that's, that's what makes it the easiest, George, is when, when we're, we're able to have the candidate understand where they're at, why they're where they're at. The hard one is, is when they think that they did everything that you asked them to and they were not close. And that's, that's, you know, and we all, every time we do something, you know, I've gone through tryouts multiple times and every time that you do one of these things, you're putting all your own beliefs out there and you believe them, right? They may not be correct, but they're yours and, and it is your belief. And so it may take some persuading <laughs> to tell you that, oh, I might need to modify my belief pattern. Now, but, like yeah, you said, you've gone through a number of tryouts, and you do have to continue to try out to be an examiner, correct? Yes, yeah, we and do a, a, every every four years or so. We do a tryout process. Well, so 
I'm my role right now is I'm in the Northwest Division. I'm the head coach of the PSI Northwest Technical Team, and in that role, I've got a crew of, of ten of the top trainers uh, in the Northwest. That is a, a four-year term, and it's a tryout every time. And then those guys are the trainers for the divisional clinic leaders uh, within the Northwest area and also for the trainers within different ski schools within the area. They're kind of the, the cream of the crop, so to speak. And then we've got another 20, um, 20 22 uh, divisional clinic leaders and examiners. And every two years, those people go through an evaluation process. Um, and so you are, you are continuously being assessed to be still on top of your game, current with what is going on in current nationally and divisionally as far as what's going on. Uh, and and keeping your skills up, and then for me, I continue to strive to try to to achieve uh, higher things. So, for the last twelve years, I've I've applied for and, and tried out for the national team, the PSI uh, Alpine national team, which I just got invited uh, to Breckenridge in April. Uh, one of forty people trying to become members of the national organizations team. And that was right. My next question. How, tell us about that. I mean, that's a huge honor. So it's an honor. It's humbling. Um, it's a lot of work that you go through, you know, that the national team is, is you're basically you're representing PSI nationally as, as, as a person. Um, and that means that you are, uh, when when one makes that squad, they're they're recognized across the country as as a as, an, as a preliminary educator, an inspirational uh, leader, a inspirational athlete uh, to be able to to go out and and share uh, information from a national level across that multiple in multiple areas. In fact, uh, it's also every you know, out of every four years, there's an inter interski event that they go to and present the United States teaching systems to the rest of the world. Uh, and that just finished in Argentina, actually. Uh, it was a pretty amazing, uh, I, I was unable to attend, but I attended through online stuff and uh, got as much information as I could from people that did participate. Uh, but to be a member of that team, you're, you're basically, again, one of effectively 12 of the best trainers for ski instructors in the country. Uh, the process that they're doing here is the application process is there's a, a written stuff. So you write articles, you present, you create a video, um, you do some, some additional uh, letters of, of intent and whatnot. And then out of, and then you get those, those were submitted in December and there were 100, 100 to 100, 140 submissions for the Alpine group, as far as I understand. And then they, based off of those submissions, filter it down to to 40 candidates and then invite you to participate at the, the on-snow event, where at the on-snow event, you'll do indoor presentations, uh, on-snow teaching, on-snow task scheme, um, and then just it's it's basically a five day interview. <laughs> now, is there any way people can go watch? Yeah, there's you know there's there definitely 
you know, I've done this a few times now, and there's there's definitely people do attend uh, just to see what's going on. So there's one of the things that goes, I mean, just before uh, this tryout is uh, the National Academy, which is where the national team, the current national team members and past national team members are doing a big clinic at Brackenridge for five days there. And then shortly, then right after that is when the national team tryouts will start. Uh, and so you can definitely, you know, come check us out, see what's going on. Um, it could be just watching a lot of people stand around for a bit while one person sees at a time when you got 40 people to get through. But uh, it's also very interesting to see, you know, who's vying for the position and, and watch just a bunch of really inspirational people uh, get out on snow and show their stuff. Now, standing around while one person skis, isn't that a ski lesson, Rick? Well, ideally, no, right? <laughs> you know, what a great ski lesson. You know, when it's a great ski lesson, you're you're getting lots of time out there working with it. You get to practice what it is. You get to explore in different terrain. Uh, you get some good feedback here on the chair, and you keep rolling with it. You know, we learn by doing, uh, not so much just by cognitively thinking about it. And so it, it is skills acquisition, right? So you got to move muscles to make stuff happen. And I could talk about it, but you're not going to get it until you start doing it. And so the reality is, is that most of our students to learn best have to be doing, doing it and participating. Now you've said something that really caught my attention as an examiner. When someone's going through level one, level two, level three, it's not a competition and there's not a quota. You've been doing tryouts, though, where there very much is a quota. I mean, the pressure Absolutely, you must be feeling. There's a bar. There's, you, you are competing against other people uh, to, to be the best. Right? To, to, you know, if there's 40 people, there's 12 spots. You don't want to be in the middle of the pack. You want to be in the top 10%. And what do you do that separates you from the pack? You know, it's, well, you kind of look at who, who are those guys, the top 1%, who's inspiring you there and how can you work to be in that? You know, the, the, so the current guys and the new head coach is Mike Rogan, who has always been an inspiration to me to, to watch that guy ski, to see how, uh, how, I don't know, how simple he makes stuff look yet, how accurate he is. Uh, Jeb Boyd, who's now the team's coach. Uh, was another guy that's been inspirational, Eric Lipton, Jonathan Blue. These are they're phenomenal athletes and excellent presenters as well. And so you got to get out and practice that, getting out and practicing. And so for me, I like being pushed by. So I got some peer groups here. I got some guys. You know, there's four of us from the Northwest that are they're going back to Breckenridge to try out. Uh, current team member Dave Lyon. Uh, Brad Jacobson out of Bend, Oregon, Jeremy Riss out of Mount uh, uh, Hit Meadows, Meadows. Uh, and myself uh, that are going to be going representing the Alpine people. And we also have Greg Dixon out of out of Bend uh, on the Telly side that's going. But so when you go out and ride with those guys, we push each other. We challenge each other. We, you know, we spend some time doing some, some really – uh, accurate tasks. Uh, I mean, recently I was skiing and, you know, 18 inches of pow and new snow, but I 
decided I would go do it on Stalin skis to make it more challenging. And, you know, it's like everyone else is riding their rocket fatties and 100 underfoot, you know, just whooping it up. Now, I had a blast. It was great. But it was, you know, you had to be much more accurate to make that ski do what those other guys are doing and having fun with it. So, Rick, I really like what you just said. Do you think that's something that uh, maybe instructors at ski schools should do with each other? Go out and not necessarily have a formal clinic, but really go out and just challenge each other to teach. It, it is. It's something that I, you know, actually, that's one of the things that if you go, if you look at, at around the Northwest, at some of the, the, the powerful ski schools, the ones that are training really hard, uh, Mountain Meadows, where I came from, is has some of the best trainers around. Uh, and it grew from, from a lot of, of, of not much to begin with. And, you know, it, when it was, it was through uh, those trainers going out and challenging each other and saying, hey, we're going to go try out for this, or we're going to try out for that. Uh, and then working with each other and challenging them to do better at it. And that's the, you know, if you, the more that you do that, the more inspiring you can be to the rest of the staff to do it as well. Uh, so yeah, actually going out and, and, and working. So you're, yeah, you're coaching each other, you're teaching each other, and then you're, you're making your, you know, okay, you did that, step it up. And one thing, one night we were sitting there playing around just on the beginner slope that's saying, okay, if I take away one of your skis, you know, can you still do a, a smooth round medium radius turn? Like, okay, now if I take away both your poles and one of your skis, can you still do that medium radius turn both directions? And it becomes harder and harder to do because you have less props to, to use, right? Um, and so you, you can you can figure out, yeah, I can do a short radius. I can do something quick where I do some things. But to, to make, and so it's just those type of things, you know, just challenging each other to do some type of things. It's, it's, it's really, it does grow. You grow from it for sure. Now, do you ever get to teach the public anymore? I mean, oh, I, I love teaching yeah, the first I time on I, skis. I do. You know, I teach the three-year-olds never ever to the 83-year-olds. And, uh, and and that's one of the things that, that keeps it so real is is, is working with, with the public on it. Um, you know, if you go out and train ski instructors and other stuff, but if you don't have relevant experience, recent relevant experience, it may not be very meaningful. Um, so yeah, I absolutely teach on a, on a regular basis. Well, Rick, I am really looking forward to following you through the tryouts coming up in Breckenridge and wish you all the success. And I also look forward to chatting with you in the very near future. Well, I appreciate it, George. I look forward to it too. You've been listening to Snowbound with our guest, Rick Lyons, Boulder, Colorado. I'm George Thomas. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.